Hello and welcome to Conversations On, where the YMCA of the North engages with local and national leaders about their experiences, their insights, and their aspirations. I'm Henry Lake with WCCO Radio. Today's CEO, Glenn Gunderson, gets to know Amelia Hardy. Amelia serves as Best Buy's Chief Inclusion and Diversity Officer. In this role, she leads a team that's creating strategy for an inclusive culture that supports employees, customers, and the community. Amelia's responsibilities include representation and retention of diverse employees at all levels of the company. She also oversees initiatives aimed at increasing the presence of products and services acquired from minority-owned businesses and partnering with other organizations to eradicate racial and social disparities in underrepresented communities. Well, Amelia Hardy, welcome. I'm so grateful for you being in studio today. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Glenn, for having me. It's my pleasure. So I want to go way back. We're going to start with your childhood. Uh, Tell me where you came from. What was your childhood like? I grew up in a predominantly white suburb of Kansas, and my parents moved from the, they grew up in the segregated South, and they decided as soon as they could leave the South, they would. And my father got a job out of school as an engineer in Kansas City. And so we moved, he moved my, he got, my mother and father got married and they moved to Kansas City and they were living in the city. And during that time, they experienced a house fire and they got robbed. And one of the things they wanted to do is make sure that their kids did not experience the same segregation that they did. And Kansas City is a pretty segregated city even still. Uh, So they moved to the suburbs thinking that if you move to the suburbs, a predominantly white uh, community, that we would have a better education, um, a more safety, all of the things and stereotypes that you associate with living in the suburbs. So because of that, at a very young age, I was one of the only uh, in daycare and school and was very aware of my difference. And that difference was made not to be good and unique, but to to be something that was less than or minimal. So in elementary school, probably first grade, um, I was sitting at a lunch table and some of the kids were laughing and I asked why, and they asked me to look at my hands and they said, well, why are your hands different colors? Like that just doesn't make sense. I never thought about it because I am who I am and my family is who they are. And that was really my first um, understanding that my difference was not good, but my difference was seen as something that was not thought of fondly or was not um, accepted. And so that's basically how my childhood went. But because of that, um, I spent a lot of time, especially in middle school and high school, starting diversity clubs at my school, getting involved with the NAACP and the local government, and really championing equity. So this is something that's been a lifetime in the making for me because of my background and because of the stories my parents have told me and my grandparents have told me. Wow. An overcomer. And how cool that you kind of created... Um, a path, you know, in in overcoming some of that challenge, right? It, so, um, what um, what else do you recall about that time? Did you find allyship back at that time in childhood? Did you find, you know, pals that stood with you? I did. I found pals that stood with me. One of my best friends was actually an immigrant from Russia, so I found people who had similar experiences because they were different or new to the community. 
that were allies in that sense. Um, and so, and there were people who understood, and, and you would say, I guess, were a little bit more progressive as far as race relations were concerned and, and the integration and true community of a multiracial community, if you will. Mm -hmm. So there were some, but there is, you know, still sometimes it was overshadowed by those who uh, were basically, I think, just not educated or ignorant to what healthy communities and multicultural communities could look like. Yeah. And you found your way to go to college in the South, right? Xavier in Louisiana. Yes. What was, that, what was that experience like? How would you contrast it with growing up in Kansas City? Yeah, I, I said because I went to predominantly white schools growing up that I wanted to do something a little different and attend a historically black college and university. My parents attended historically black colleges and universities. My father at Prairie View, my mother at Jarvis in Texas. Okay. So I wanted to as well. I thought I was going to be a doctor and it turns out that I'm a lot more squeamish than I thought I was. So <laughs> I was, actually went to Xavier because they're number one in placing uh, African-American black uh, students in medical school. And even though I changed my major because of inroads, I actually had a chance to have some a pretty good internship at Sprint. I still wanted to have that experience of not feeling like the only, but seeing what in a, in a community. I mean, and, and quite frankly and honestly, I don't think um, homogeneity is good either. I think a, a good multicultural community is is where the ideal spot is. But it was a good change of pace for me because then I was able to lean into my culture a little bit more, not feel that I was standing out. And then New Orleans is such an amazing place in itself. Wonderful people, Southern hospitality music and foods so was just a great experience overall yeah such a rich diversity in the music and the energy of that city right um so i have to ask you was it the blood is that what makes you squeamish and kept you out of medical school it was that and i am <laughs> highly empathetic which is actually a superpower uh, but it can there's a shadow side of the superpower yeah. and one of the things i was concerned about is um I was concerned that I would be too empathetic and be too involved with my patients, especially their suffering. Uh, I tend to, that's why I'm also in the work that I'm in is because I care deeply about everyone achieving their personal best. And whenever I see disparity or someone's suffering, I tend to take that on and want to do something different about that. So I was afraid that I would not be able to overcome that. And that would keep me from really focusing on the healing, but I would get too much into the emotion of it. No, I totally get it. Well, empathy as a superpower is a good uh, fallback anyway, right? It, it has is. led you to some awesome things career-wise. So how did you find your way to 3M, one of the great Minnesota companies? It's interesting because I wanted to stay in the South. Um, I was at a National Black Career Fair after graduating. Well, I was about to graduate from Tulane. I went to business school at Tulane. And I went to a National Black MBA Career Fair in Anaheim. And I was sitting and reading my resume, preparing for an interview. And a gentleman in a suit came and sat next to me. And he struck up a conversation and he said, what school do you go to? What is your major? What are your interests? And it turned out to be an executive at 3M. Oh, wow. And so he asked me about if I knew anything about 3M. And I said, I, I think so. Post-it notes, scotch tape. I know a little something about 3M. He asked me if I hadn't known anything about Minnesota. And I was like, I think I went up there for a soccer tournament because I played soccer. My brother played soccer. And I remember mosquitoes. That's what I'm at. And many lakes. And, um, and that I hear that it's cold. 
And he's please consider coming to 3M because we have a general business management MBA program. And we take in about 10 students per year from the top business schools. And I think that you would like it based on your background and I would sponsor you. And I didn't know what that meant. Um, and he said, because I went straight through to business school, that it might be hard going into some of these top consumer products companies without a sponsor. And um, I said, yeah, you know, I'll think about it. And he so happened at the time to have a son who was attending school at KU in Lawrence, Kansas. And so he would call me when he was visiting there and talk, ask me about the barbecue places he should go to or uh -huh. different places in Kansas City. And we kept in contact. And But every time he would plant the seed a little bit more, are you sure you don't want to come to Minnesota? I'll definitely help you. And then I thought about it a little bit more and talked to my parents. And they said, well, you have someone who's really invested in you from a personal standpoint. He seems to care. He keeps calling. He's asking about you, taking interest in your success. So I think you should go. And I figured I could stay anywhere for two years. And then 20 some odd years later, I'm still in Minnesota. But that's that's how I got to 3M in Minnesota. Interesting. You know, as a native, um, once we kind of hook you, you do stick around for that a while, is, right? That but, is true. Yeah. That is true. Well, we're fortunate to have you in community. So um, if I'm not mistaken, in hearing an interview that you did in the past, you talked about uh, the George Floyd murder as um, an instigator uh, for you in terms of maybe a career shift or thinking differently about what you might do in leadership. Can you share more about that? I've always, as I said, Glenn, been um, really involved in the community and part of just uh, initiatives for equity and impact. But I never wanted to do it as a full-time job because I feel like I live it. And I said, well, I don't need to do that. I already live it and I already do it. So why would I want to do that full-time? So when people would ask me, "Do you are you sure you don't want to do diversity, equity, and inclusion full-time? I'd say, no, I'm like a marketer at heart. I really enjoy leading businesses. I would never do that um, full-time. Highly empathetic. Don't think I could do it. Um, and so I just, I never, I would always say, no, I don't think I want to do that full time. But after the murder of George Floyd, I actually had a conversation with that, that time, our chief diversity officer, and then Corey. And she said, well, if, if not you, then who, and what area could you make more of an impact now than here? This is what we're going to focus on. And this is where I want to make a difference and I want to make a change and I want to do better. And I thought about it and I said, if my personal purpose is to make an impact and help others be their personal best, then maybe this is for this time, the spot that I need to be in. So that's how um, I reconsidered it. And at the time, I just felt really, um, I felt a debt um, emboldened to my ancestors and to those like uh, George Floyd and you know, all of the all of the people who have passed away, I consider them martyrs. And I just felt that I needed to do something to make an impact in this moment. Yeah. Well, so another great Minnesota company, right? Best Buy, led by Corey Berry, who's done an amazing job. And so um, talk more about the work and what it is that you've been up to. Well, two years ago in December, Corey said, we will do better. And this is really after the murder of George Floyd. And doing better for us meant we made bold public commitments in diversity, equity, inclusion. And that is really, we're targeting one out of three of our hires at corporate to be a person of color. We're leading into black, indigenous, and um, Latin A or Latinx because of our, our what we see in disparities in our 
company and in, in the community. And then also in the field, we're targeting one out of three people to be women because we want to see more women coming up through retail. We also want our retention to be at parity with our general population for our Black, Indigenous, and people of color. And then we are looking at uh, senior equity, just senior leadership equity to be similar to our board of directors and Corey's leadership team. We've also made commitments, $1.2 billion for diverse supplier spends. Um, and so we've, we've really leaned into representation in our marketing. How do we change and do better in our company, in our community, in our co country? And that's what I've been up to. It's how do we do that internally and externally? How do we uh, become better stewards and citizens, not only enhance lives through technology, but to do that in a way that um, serves a purpose, a greater good for our customers, our community and our employees. It's mm, great. I love how you're thinking about it systemically too. And those are bold, bold targets. And I'm just curious, are you seeing organizations, peer organizations or competitors for that matter, or other, you know, Minnesota organizations uh, that you may engage with? Are you seeing others follow that lead? Um, it seems like the conversation at least has sustained itself since the summer of, of 2020, where we become this global epicenter right? Yeah. For racial and social justice and kind of a new cry, a new call. And I'm just curious, are you seeing others follow um, in making those kinds of changes that ought to have some really systemic impact? We are. We're part of the founding members of the Minnesota Business Coalition for Racial Equity. Um, now the executive director is Tiffany Daniels, but many 30 companies, partner companies are involved in that all with similar commitments from your 3Ms to your Targets, your General Mills, US Bank, uh, with many companies that are partnering together to make a change. Now the Groundbreak Coalition is uh, doing something similar, some very similar players in those coalitions as well. Hmm. You have uh, United by Black, Powered by All, and many of the nonprofits and organizations that we have that are working with companies hand in hand to make a change in our community um, and other communities that suffer similar disparities. So I, I do see the commitments and the sustained commitment because it's it, quite frankly, it's harder the further removed we get away from the murder of George Floyd and all the other traumatic events that happen within the same time. But we're, we're continuing to march forward and keep our focus and try to keep the momentum up. Yeah, it's great to see that. And I do think it um, it's important once and for all, you know, that we continue the dialogue and that we continue to make bold change. And we've actually had a little bit of a chance to work with Best Buy in the past and Target and other large employers with our Equity Innovation Center and an investment we've made around curriculum and teaching, going into cities, going into school districts, going into corporations, and really effectively trying to drive cultural competence, kind of this mm -hmm. cultural competence quotient, raising that up across uh, work groups, uh, employment, or you know, employers, um, school groups, youth groups, you name it. And I do think that we're starting to see, you know, at least an acknowledgement that we've got to do better. And then ultimately, um, a sufficient, hopefully a sufficient number of us investing in that, in that direction. So very exciting. And really, you know, another badge for us as, you know, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Minnesota kid. So love seeing companies like your own Best Buy doing that kind of work. Um, what are you, uh, what are you aspiring? Like, what are your, some of your big dreams, uh, with you, Corey and the team there, um, 
talk a little bit about uh, what might be next, even beyond what you've already made made commitments to do. I mean, I, I think our total North Star aspiration is to really reach equity, to have, you know, it to represent and look like what our customers look like to at all levels of the company to have an inclusive culture to have our employees be culturally competent and educated as you said so i think we're looking at that and then how we um have that be sustainable in just the way we do business that's a that's a big goal and that's what we're focused on but as we do that, we keep in mind all of our constituents, our stakeholders, our community partners, our customers, and, and how we move forward and doing it in a way. I mean, we're not sprinting because we know that, you know, this is more of a marathon. This is more of a how do you gain momentum? Corey and I have always talked about how it's like a snowball. You'll appreciate this being a, a Minnesotan, a native Minnesotan. I've seen one of those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You roll it for trying to, you know, make a snowman, you roll it and it picks up momentum and then it gets easier and easier to sustain that momentum. And that's, that's how we talk about it. You know, where we were trying to continue to, to uh, accelerate the momentum and make it sustainable so that it's not just, with her and my leadership, but it would be sustainable 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 50 years from now. Yeah. With your scale, I, I imagine these kinds of initiatives can be really challenging as you get out concentric circles from, you know, the mothership, you know, your, your headquarters here in town in, in, uh, in just South of Minneapolis. So how do you think about that as you think about how distributed your team members are? Does the, does the equity work find its way into right down to um, the retail level and throughout your stores? How, how does that look? It does. We have team tech centers in many cities across our nation. We just opened one in Gary, Indiana. It was in partnership with one of our executive team members, Damian Harmon. It's his, his community, his hometown. And we have those all over going into communities. We're not the only community, right, that experiences a need, health inequities, uh, education gap, wealth gap. So we do, um, we are doing the work in all the cities and places that we can, where we have stores, where we have employees, and that's all over the nation. Our employees are also very involved in their communities with volunteerism, getting involved with those teen tech centers and other um, programs, especially when there's uh, community events where people need to come together, whether that's for good or even for disaster relief. We have our employees are very involved in their local communities. Yeah. I'm curious, um, as you think about um, uh modeling this even for your customers, right? I mean, um, in the halo effect, hopefully that accrues back to the organization, not the reason we're doing this work, but there's probably some value coming back. But do you think that this work is stretching across even to those that we serve, like those that we serve at the Y, those that you're serving as customers and users at Best Buy? I think so. I would like to think that the work that we do uplifts everyone. Yeah. It uplifts yeah. our partners, all stakeholders, our communities, our customers, our employees. I think we look at where can we make an impact for the greater good of not just Best Buy, but of humanity. And we know by touching in those areas that it has this um, halo effect, right? It, it, it then starts to lift everyone. Like uh, John F. Kennedy is attributed to saying, you know, a rising tide lifts all 
boats. I think we, we feel that way. If we identify where the issues are and we work out those issues, we feel that it's for the greater good of everyone. Yeah. I love that notion of, of, you know, thinking about this as rising all boats and, and our customers seeing themselves in those that we're employing and having a richer diversity of, of perspective and background and ethnicity and race throughout, um, you know, we're employing and who we're engaging. I'm curious, like, as you think about Best Buy's evolution, constantly coming up with novel new ways for growth, um, and you mentioned health equity, um, I wonder about, um, do, you know, when you think about the, even the products that can be brought to bear and democratizing access uh, to, you know, information, to devices, to, you know, health orientation and products, um, that there is a role to play there too in ensuring that all have access to to um, an equitable um, approach, right? It's very true. We've been in the health business for about four or five years now, and our health team really looks at how do you make healthcare accessible to everyone, and that's through technologies, virtual care, um, making sure you can age in place, also reaching communities that don't always have clinics or doctors available to them. So all of that, they really lean into a business imperative around health equity and making sure everyone has access to care, to a, a high level of care as well. And that is the way we're expanding our business. We're looking at ways that technology can enhance life. And then when you enhance life, you uh, alleviate and eradicate disparities and you help people thrive and not just survive, but actually thrive in what they're doing. And you help people do their job better and you help people get better health care and you help people get better educated. Like technology does all of that. And that's what we're doing. We're spanning into all those different areas. And just from a service standpoint, if you look at the retail industry and just the population growth in our labor force has been people of color. And that's who we employ. We employ those who are working face-to-face frontline with our customers. So we really have to honor you know, our, our communities and also where we get our service and then those people who are servicing our customers. And that's another way of growth too, impacting those communities, our employees that are going back into those communities and adding to them. Yeah, it's awesome. So we're hopefully raising up some of those future Best Buy employees and YMCA employees. Um, <laughs> I what surely do you hope so. I think you are. <laughs> yeah. And we need, we need a few more, right? This is, this is a, a really tough, <laughs> Uh, job market, of course, and wage pressures and all kinds of interesting yeah. things with nearly, you know, uh, zero unemployment, especially up here in, in the great bold north. But um, as you think about um, the why and organizations like the why, what is it that you're looking for um, from partners uh, in the nonprofit sector? We are looking for just you're so embedded in the community and have the trust of the community and the relationships with the community. And let's be honest, sometimes from a business perspective, we don't always um, extend into the community relationships being integrated into the relationships. We're trying for sure, probably more than we ever have in the past, but we really appreciate that perspective and the initiatives that you're doing, just really being very close to the people in the community and what the issues and the needs are, not because that's what data is telling us, but also the personal narratives are showing that as well. You're, you're talking to the people 
who are saying what their needs are, saying what's working, saying is what's not working. And we really value that insight and that partnership and that closeness and that proximity of being in the community. Yeah. And I'm curious too, like for me as a leader, um, what are you looking for from nonprofit leaders like, like me? Partnership challenge. If there's an initiative that you all know of that you think we could partner on, we'd love to hear it. Um, really being the voice of the community, telling us the needs that we might not be that we might not be addressing or we might be missing. Just scope and scale. I always say we can go further together. Um, so I love the coalition approach. Really, it's we can do more together than we can do separately. And um, I really like the. The, just the synergy we're feeling from those partnerships. So I think any time that you can allow us to partner with you, especially when you're talking directly to the community, is is um, a way that we can authentically go through the to the community in a way that um, it honors the community. Uh, sometimes I know people feel like businesses are always in it for money or profit. But I do think once we work through our nonprofit partners and really get into the community and into the initiatives that already exist and center the community, then we tend to be accepted more. And then people understand our heart and our authenticity and what we're doing in our initiatives. Yeah, well said. So uh, last question, um, what brings you hope? What brings me hope? And I was... Um, I took my oldest daughter to a, um, it was a march uh, two years ago, about three years ago after the murder of George Floyd. It was, I live in Woodbury and it was the first march that we had in Woodbury. And I looked around and what brought me hope was that it wasn't necessarily people who looked like me marching. It was people who were allies. It was uh, people who were older than me. There are people that are younger than me. There are many different people who don't look like me. And that brought me hope just to be in that circle, that multicultural circle of allyship and to see so many people care and so many people want to make a difference. And so many people were willing to give up their time and their energy and their passion to march, to make a change. And uh, that gives me hope. And I see that in the coalitions. I see that in my employees. I see that in Corey and her team. I see that in you. Mm -hmm. um, in your organization. And I, that, that really gives me hope and in, in that we are continuing to build that momentum, build that snowball to something bigger, something sustainable, something better. Yeah. A big snowball, maybe not too much snow this winter, but we'll take a big snowball here. And I'd there, rather right? have snow than cold anytime. If yes, it's that's cold, fair. It might as well snow, you know, you might as well be able to play in it. <laughs> no doubt. That's a fair trade-off. I loved one of the things you said early in the, well, I loved a lot of the things you said, but one of those being that this is humanitarian and we have such an incredible opportunity in this country to kind of move from this political diatribe to true humanitarianism. And you are a leader for good. Amelia Hardy, I'm so grateful for your time today. Thank you for joining. And I look forward to staying in touch and finding ways in which we can partner to make this world just a little better. Thank you. I would appreciate that, Glenn. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Conversations On, where the YMCA of the North engages with local and national leaders, hoping to inspire you.